Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. So we are in our Nehemiah series, and this series is called Return to God. And so let me give us a quick recap if you're uh, new with us or you've missed some of these, just to catch us all up to make sure we're all on the same page. Um, Basically, God had rescued his people, the Israelites, from slavery and brought them into their own land and called them to be a righteous and just kingdom. But they turned from him. They failed in pretty dramatic ways. And they worshiped false gods. They perpetuated evil and injustice. And it was a bit of a mess, a real big mess. And you see this throughout history actually happening. The Bible tells us time and again, it's not just um, other nations that do this. It's obviously it's God's people as well. But you see it happening in other places as well. You see it with uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. You see it with Nineveh. You see it with Babylon. You see it with Rome. You see it with Gotham. Uh, all kinds of bad situations happening throughout the Bible. Um, and so what happened is God responds to this and uh, he judges his own people. He sends foreign nations to conquer them, sends the Babylonians and the Assyrians to conquer them, to drag them into exile and uh, to, to, to interrupt their evil ways, to stop their evil practices. And they're in exile for 70 years. And Nehemiah is one of the people. There's many people that begin to return. Uh, there was a remnant that was left. There was a remnant always uh, in Jerusalem, in, in Israel, uh, but a very small, by God's grace, he, he kept a small group of people there. After 70 years, people start returning. Nehemiah, the book we're looking at in the Old Testament, Nehemiah is one of these people who is returning. He was the cupbearer of King Artaxerxes, and he basically pleads with Artaxerxes for resources to start to refortify Jerusalem. Not only is it still in disrepair from the original conquering, but it seems like more recently the walls and the gates have been um, basically destroyed by uh, other enemies that Israel has. And so um, Nehemiah is on this mission to fortify and to see Israel to return to what it should be, to what God had called them to be. And all this matters because if you, if you understand the big story of the Bible, you understand the, the trajectory of the Bible, the big plan of salvation that God has, God had promised to bring, a, bring about the Savior of the world through the descendants of Abraham. And so it's so important that this people group, that they survive, that they thrive, that they return to God's ways, they return to God's truth, they return to the place that God had called them to and that God had given them, and so that Jesus can be born, so that the Son of God can come and pay for our sin on the cross and uh, bring us into God's family. That's the big story. That's what's happening. Today, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 13, continuing along from last week. And what's just happened prior to this is they had to temporarily pause their building project, and uh, they were under threat. That threat has now uh, died down, and so they're continue, continuing on with the work. But we're going to see here that they now have some internal problems that come about, some, more in, some, some other internal problems that they start to face. And we're going to really learn about the issue of oppression and how to respond to oppression, how all groups of people can essentially find themselves doing awful things to each other and to others and oppressing people, and what it takes to bring about just, justice uh, in that kind of situation. So let's pray, and then let's look at God's Word. Jesus, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for uh, the faith that it gives us, the strength that it gives us, the anchor that it is for us, and we pray that you would teach us today how to be people who do justice, how to be people who stop oppression. And uh, Lord, give us that, not just um, a, a righteous anger about it, but Lord, give us a personal conviction about it, where it might be in our own hearts uh, as well. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Nehemiah chapter 5. It says, Now there arose a great outcry 
of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters, we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. I was very angry when I heard the, uh, their outcry and these words. I took counsel with myself. And I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do what they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. This is God's word. Now, the big focus, of course, in Nehemiah has been this fortification project, right? The rebuilding project, focusing on the wall, focusing on the gates. We've got to get protected. The people are vulnerable. It's really important. Uh, but now we're seeing that there are four new issues, massive issues, not small issues, four massive issues that have cropped up all of a sudden. It's, uh, it's amazing how this happens. I'm sure Nehemiah didn't go into this uh, thinking this would be easy, but uh, uh, now I'm thinking, you know, you learn along the way, right? This is, winning at something like this is a lot, lot harder than winning a game of uh, Settlers of Catan or something like that. So hopefully Nehemiah, with his strategic mind, can respond to this well, as we've uh, been reading here in this passage. So the four things that have cropped up, we see there's a famine. The people are starving. So they're saying, you know, we've got to get grain. There's, we've got big families. We've got lots of kids to feed, lots of mouths to feed. We're, we're starving and there's a famine in the land. Big problem. 
massive problem. The people are overtaxed, massive taxation problem. That is going to affect the overall wealth-generating power of the people because they're being, they're being exploited with their taxes. But then not only that, there's immoral lending practices that are happening where people are exacting massive amounts of interest on loans to people. That's the third big problem. And then the, and then the fourth problem is a result of the first three, which now families are in this position where they're saying, we're having to like trade off our kids to basically afford this, to basically get through because of these other issues and problems that we have. Obviously, you really feel for the people in these situations and having to do these terrible things. And you also really feel for Nehemiah. You know, uh, leadership, it's never, it's never one thing. It's never one thing. It's, it's a million things hitting you all at once. And you just, sometimes you just pray, God, why can't things just be simple? Why, why can't we just have things one, one at a time, you know? And that's not the way, it's not that interesting that way, I guess. It's not as, not as fun that way. You know, it can't just be a pandemic. It has to also be social unrest and racial tension and, you know, political division and personal strife and lots of other problems I don't want to re-traumatize myself thinking about. Uh, but it's never one thing. It's, it's always m- a million things happening at once. So, so Nehemiah, you know, if he doesn't respond to these new issues that have cropped up, they, it kind of... They're big enough where he can't ignore them. Obviously, you can't ignore these things. Uh, But if he doesn't deal with them, then they kind of will undermine the bigger reason that they're doing this. Because what's the point in having a fortified city? What's the point in being a restored people? What's the point in being, um, you know, getting to a place where they can flourish again and be safe again and be secure again if it's just filled with this, this kind of evil and oppression and tragedy and exploitation? There's no point in that. Right? No, no one's in, that's not the plan of God. That's not what we're going for here. And um, so, you know, it, it's interesting. They haven't even finished this project yet. They haven't even finished yet. You know, Nehemiah is getting them all organized, trying to do this project. They haven't even finished it yet. And they found ways to oppress each other. <laughs> I mean, this... Not even other people. I mean, this is the problem with human history, right? Is like, you know, the, the, the tribe next to us, the nation next to us, you know, the people who look different to us, or sound different languages, different customs, different cultures, like lots of hatred between different groups and wars and, and fights and enslaving and, you know, all those kind of problems, right, between groups. This is their own group. It's their own group. What's wrong with the human heart? There's something massively wrong with the human heart. That's why this series, that's why we called it Return to God, because it's not just return to a place, like it is important that they return to this place, that's important, the city's really important, return to the city, yes, that's important because God had promised them there's a particular plan to come about through this place, but, but that serves a bigger purpose, which is return to the ways of God, do the righteous things of God, live for God, be enthralled with God, make God your number one, worship Him above everything else, do the things that He calls us to do, that's the point, we're trying to return to God, to get rid of these evil ways, but when we read chapter 5 here, it really just stinks of like a sleazy Shark Tank episode to me. Now, now don't get me wrong, I love Shark Tank. If you ever watch the, the TV show Shark Tank, I love Shark Tank. Uh, but this, this just seems, you know, it almost seems like Kevin O'Leary showed up and, you know, he's, he's not happy with the valuations, he's tacking on royalties to every deal, he wants 50% of each company, you know, he wants... And he, also, Kevin's destroyed my, the illusion in my mind that all Canadians are nice people. So... You know, there's that, I guess, but I'm still going to hold out hope. Um, it made me think, like, what are Canadian prisons like? You know, the people in prison in Canada, like, 
is it just nice? You go in there and like everyone's really nice. Like that's what I'm imagining, you know. I don't know. Uh, but okay, so so we've got massive greed going on here. We've got got um, and we can't. Here's what we can't do is we can't pin this on something like capitalism because guess what? Capitalism wasn't invented at this point. All right. I mention that because that's a bit of a boogeyman in our culture. Like, oh yeah, let's. This generation loves to like blame capitalism for everything for some reason. Not that Jesus was a cap capitalist, also not a socialist. Uh, those systems had not been invented at this point. You can't. It's too easy to point the finger at silly things and start blaming oppression and greed and all these different things. It's a problem with the human heart. It happens in all times in history, in all places, in all locations, because people are evil and messed up and hate one another and are greedy. That's why it happens. And it can happen in more, you know, in different ways and different expressions at different times. But that's what's going on here. Now, the problem in this chapter is not necessarily that there's loans or that there's interest on loans. Okay, the Bible does appear to have some um, concessions or at least some guidelines around lending money and borrowing money. There seems to be, to be, to be a righteous way to go about that. So that's not, it's not that that's inherently bad or inherently wrong, but it's wrong in this context because these people are poor and needy. That's why it's wrong in this context. And so it doesn't seem to matter what the context is. People can find schemes and ways to swindle and harm those who are vulnerable, those who are needy, to make, and this is a kind of scheme that's making the poor poorer and the rich richer. I was thinking, I was trying to think of like, what are some common day things that we could think of that would match this? And a couple came to mind. I don't know if these are, these are not exact parallels, but there's, you know, the kind of thing in our day and age. Uh, you notice those storefronts that are like lending places or like money exchange places, you've seen those around our city, all right? That's a scheme that makes poor people poorer. You know that, right? There's the kind of places you go in where you like give them your car title and you like you use the, the, the promise of the collateral against your car to like get a loan that's got like 50% interest on it or something crazy like that. And uh, don't ever go to those places. Like it's not, it's, they're gonna, it's daylight robbery. So that's a kind of scheme. You know, if, if we had politicians actually cared about poor people, they would, they would get rid of those, those things, right? That's an issue of justice, actually. Because it's, it's taking advantage of people's bad circumstances uh, and making wealthier people wealthier. And there's good ways to make money, but that's not one of them, for sure. Um, and then the other one is actually credit cards. So credit card companies, you know, if you think about it, if everyone paid their credit card on time, um, the credit card companies would go bankrupt. You know that, right? The only reason they exist is because they know people don't pay their bill, they, people carry a balance. And they can charge 18, 19 more percentage, whatever crazy amount of percentage it is. And it makes poor people poorer. Rich people don't, use, don't float balances on credit cards. You know that, right? It's, it's poor people that do it. And so that's another scheme of taking advantage of people. It's a terrible uh, thing. It's so easy to get access to it as well, to be enslaved into that kind of cycle of borrowing and being, being harmed in that way. So they've got the lending thing happening, but they've also got this uh, child slavery thing going on. Now, now, when we hear the word slavery, you know, we tend, in, in the American mind, we think of it in a particular way uh, with our history of slavery and the, the African slave trade and so the danger of that is that the slavery that talks, is talked about in history, other parts of history and in the Bible, is different. There's some kind of indentured servitude that's happening here. There's, there's massive differences between, in our history here, was one of the most brutal forms of, of, of slavery kind of that's, that's happened in history. So they're not exactly the same thing, but still, still this, these circumstances that have brought this about are wrong and tragic. And, you know, slavery has been something in all cultures at all times. It's a universal problem. It's, it's actually abnormal to not have slavery. 
Um, so we live in the abnormal context. Actually, we don't have slavery now in our context. Although today there's more slaves alive today than there ever has been, you know, combined in history. It's, 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 again, the rottenness of the human heart wanting to enslave other people. And it's not just people who look different, or who sound different, or have a different language or a different custom. It's their own brothers and sisters. It's their own relatives. And so this, I guess this would be like, having mentioned the African trade state, this would be something like, you know, when that was happening, uh, different tribes selling people, selling their own family members or people from other tribes, selling of their own kind into the slave trade, that, which, which was a very common practice. That happened a lot. This is what these people are doing here as well. It's, it's amazing. It's not, you know, you, you think that like, human beings, you just stick to your own group, and you just, you know, we just, everyone in our group, we just, we love each other, and we get along, and we hate everyone else, and, uh, but the human condition is so perverse and so distorted, it's worse than that, is we find ways to even hate our own neighbors and our own kind, and people that we should get along with, and that we should like, and have the most affinity with as well. This is what's happening here. This is gross. So this should make us very sad and very mad. We should be very sad and very mad about what we're reading here in the passage, we should also be very reflective. We can't just be angry at what's happening here and what happens in the world. We can't just be angry about it. We have to be very reflective on it because we have to ask ourselves, if I'm in the situation where I would have the opportunity to engage in something that would exploit somebody else, would I do it? Now, if someone was to interview you this week, they were to sit you down and ask you a series of questions about this and say, would you, if this was the situation, would you do this? everyone's going to say, I would never do that, right? That's what we would say. But the problem is, I think we might already be participating in something like this, right? Because we get all these cheap things from other countries. That, and the reason we buy cheap stuff from other countries is because they don't have good labor laws and they can exploit their people and make it for next to nothing, right? That's, that's, so we're already... And I don't know what to do about that. It's a massive, honestly, it's a huge moral dilemma problem that we've got to struggle with uh, as Christians. I'm feeling convicted by that myself, just thinking about that, thinking maybe I'm, you know, of course I would never, ooh, I'd never exploit somebody. It's like, well, maybe I've got an iPhone. Am I, am I exploiting someone because I have an iPhone? Right? I might be. I'm feeling really bad right now. This is not good. <laughs> I'm getting, yeah, I didn't think about this part. This is kind of making this up as I go along, so I don't know. So... <laughs> It's like, oh dear, I should have done something about this ahead of time. So, all right. One of the, one of the good things that comes out of this passage, one of the amazing things is, it's, 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 the, it's the women, it's specifically the wives, that uh, bring up this concern. It says that in the first verse that we read, it's, it's the, the women, the wives, that basically start complaining, banding together, saying like, hey, this is majorly wrong. So what's really cool about this is, you know, we can sometimes fall into the trap of thinking that history is a story where, you know, groups with less voices or less voice or less power you know, have always been oppressed and silenced, and now we're in a more enlightened age when that's not happening. Uh, the Bible gives us a story here where these women speak up, and they are taken seriously, they are listened to, and because of their voices, change happens. How cool is that? That should be very encouraging, very empowering. Uh, to know that if you're, if you're suspecting, like, I don't, you know, I don't feel like my voices are strong because of my position or who I am. Actually, to have faith. That like, you know, God can use my voice. God can, if, I, if I band together, I speak up about something. Now, now of course, that doesn't mean that, that, that all concerns are legitimate. Of course not. Like, people cry wolf about things. Of course, that can, that can happen from time to time. But not in this situation. This situation, this is legit. 
that they're exactly right. And Nehemiah, he listens to them. And I think this is what, what all women want, right? What all the ladies want is a, a guy that will listen, that will listen to the problem and take action on it. So well done, Nehemiah, for making the rest of us men look terrible. But this is what he does. He listens and, he, and he's responsive and, and, and is concerned. And then actually more than that, it says in verse 6 that he was very angry. He's very angry when he heard about this. Now, this is, this is an example in the Bible of righteous anger. So there are plenty of Bible verses that talks, talk about God being angry. And I always like to give an apologetic on this. If you've listened to me preaching for any length of time, I always like to talk about God's anger and frame it in a positive way because it is. So anytime you hear in the Bible about God being angry, you picture this moment here with Nehemiah. That's what you picture. Because he's, he's not, you know, it's not you know, like us, you know, like we go rage monster because we can't find our keys and we blame something on the dog and we flip someone off. And, you know, that's unrighteous anger, right? Not good. But, but here, Nehemiah is getting furious because of this exploitation, because these, these terrible things are happening that people are doing to their own, even their own kind, their own people. And he's, he's, he's outraged about it, angry about it. And this is an exact picture of, this is the kind of anger that God has. God's angry about this kind of stuff. And it would be, actually, would you like to worship a God that didn't get angry about these kind of things? Would you like that? Is that the kind of God you want? Like, I'd like my God to be neutral. Never get upset about bad things. No, that's, not, that's, not, that, that's a bad God. That's a bad kind of God. So in, in response to this, so Nehemiah, he's angry, so he's, 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 he's powering up, you know, his emotions are strong in this. But what's interesting is he still, he has to be very thoughtful and very deliberate, so he thinks, right? So he's having to contemplate here, judging all these issues, because it's not just, what, it's four issues at once. And so he has to think to himself, like, what, which ones, he has to kind of assess, which ones can I tackle? Because a famine... You know, he can't multiply bread and fish. You know, that, that's a different Bible story. Don't get your Bible stories messed up, right? Mixed up. That, that comes later on. That would be really handy right now, though. You know, that would have been multiplying bread and fish would be really handy at this point. But not, you know, he, can't, he can't solve a famine. Also, he can't change the tax code. That's not within his realm to do. He can't change the taxation system. That's not as out of his power. So he, he, he realizes those are not things I can tackle, but what I can focus on is, is this immoral lending, this exacting of interest. I can focus my power, my attention. I, I, I could do something about that. And, and by extension, I think it doesn't actually mention how they solved the issue with the, the children, but I, I can imagine by extension, because those things are connected together, he's also solving uh, that problem as well. That would be my assumption, at least. It's not specifically clear in the passage, but there's a huge lesson for us here is that we can get... We should get angry about oppression and, and injustice and things that are wrong. People are being exploited and taken advantage of. We should be angry about that. But we also have to be very thoughtful about what can I actually do about it. Because if you're always just angry about it, that just leads to like mental health problems. So we, don't, we want less mental health problems. We're in a culture that's struggling with massive mental health problems. So a great way to get out of that is to say, well, what can I do about this? How can I make a difference? What, what is it within my realm to do? Because let me give you an example of this. I've heard this a couple of times from people over the years where I've literally heard somebody say, like, I can't get ahead in life because the man is against me. I'm like, all right, well, who's the man? And, and I'll, if, you can, if you can figure out who the man is, I'll go with you and we'll get that man. 
and, and will change the situation. But with a nebulous idea, you, you can never overcome a nebulous idea like that. So the, quest, the lesson is, is to be thoughtful and to say, well, what can I, what do I have power of? What can I focus on that within the realm of my influence that I could make a change in, that I could actually impact? That is what Nehemiah is doing uh, right here. And so he takes actually seemingly, it seems like it's legal action. It's public legal action that he's taking against the nobles and against the officials. And we learn that he had become governor, so he's now in, in some kind of official governing role at this point. So he could have used military power to solve this. He could have done that. But that's not, that's not how a, a, a true statesman would act, somebody, somebody who's trying to actually build a civilization, right? So Putin, take notes on this one, all right? Nehemiah here, lots of lessons from Nehemiah. Nehemiah goes down the legal route. That's the correct way to fight this. Let's have a public hearing. Let's have an assembly. Let's bring charges. Let's get clarity on what's going on here. Now, the issue, like I mentioned earlier on, is not exactly about lending money or, or having interest on money. Even Jesus tells a parable where he actually very positively talks about investing money in a bank and making interest on it. And so it seems that the Bible is not entirely against that, but the key is, in this situation, is that these people need charity. These people need a donation. They need, they need help. They need immediate assistance. People are starving. There's a famine. People are being overly taxed. You know, um, or, you know, they're having to sell their children, you know, get their children into indentured servitude, whatever the situation might be. They're having to take these drastic steps. People don't need, this is not a loan situation, right? There's different moments to discern when should you give a loan to somebody and when's it appropriate to have interest on that or to borrow in that way. And when's it, when, when is it just a gift? When does it just need to be a gift? And in this context, these people are impoverished. It needs to be a gift, that's the right way. That's the Christian way to think about it. They just, need, they just need immediate help. So that's what Nehemiah is coming against. So he, he confronts them about this publicly, and they can't say anything. They're, they're silent. And that, that, that's the great sign. They, they, I mean, what can you say? You know, what, that, what that means is they already knew that what they were doing was wrong. Right? They already knew what they were doing was wrong. They're taking advantage of people. So he, can't, so he confronts it. They're silent, they can't respond, and then he, he starts to turn the situation around. Now, what, what we can learn from Nehemiah, massive things we can learn from Nehemiah in this. We, we, he is an example to us of how to face oppression and how to bring about justice. Some big lessons we need to learn in our day and age, because these are big issues in our, that our culture is facing, that Christians are facing, that churches are facing. How do we get clarity on this? How do we learn from Nehemiah? As we mentioned, he listened to the cries of, of the people. The first thing we've got to do in facing any kind of thing like this is really listen. Listen well to people. It's discomforting. To, the reason we don't listen, it's hard to listen. I mean, we've all got our own pains, so sometimes we, we want to focus on that. But, but also it's hard to hear people's pain because it's so discomforting. It's so hard to, 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 to hear the stories or to hear the, the, the agony that people have been through, what they've experienced, or the, the, the turmoil. It's, it's, it can be stressful, and, and we're very sensitive to those things, and so it can be very discomforting just to hear it. But as Christians, that's our, our calling, is to enter into the pain of others and to hear those stories, to hear those cries that come out. Let me give you an example of this. This is kind of a personal example, kind of an issue that's kind of near and dear to our family's heart. But, you know, 
put it in this language and then you can, we can apply it to any kind of situation where someone's in need. Um, but if you, if you meet a disabled person, and if you're not used to that, depending on their disability, depending on how they come across and, and what their particular issue is, uh, if you're not used to that, it can be very discomforting, right? Very discomforting. Okay, there's no, there's no, no harm in agreeing to this. It's like, yes, it's very, can be very hard to, if you're not used to that, to say, well, I don't want to say the wrong thing. Like, what should I do? Like, it can just be very, very, very discomforting thing. But, but learning to live in that discomfort and learning to experience that discomfort uh, is a really, because that will pass, right? That discomfort will go away as you enter into and understand more about people's situations and their circumstances. Now, we need to be like Nehemiah and really listen to the cries and the problems, but we also need to be like Nehemiah in that he actually doesn't instantly react to this. We're in a culture that, um, you know, it basically encourages impulsive responses to things like this. He's, it says that he sought counsel with himself. He sought counsel with himself. That's kind of an interesting way to put it. Like, you think, well, wouldn't you go seek counsel with other people? Like, wouldn't you? Well, that's normally when you seek counselors, you, you get, you, you're surrounded by counselors, right? People are counseling you. But he says he sought counsel with himself. I find that a very interesting phrase. So what's, what's Nehemiah doing here? What, what can we learn from this? He doesn't just react. He, he, he takes time to, to, to be by himself and to think about it. He's already, actually, he's already listened to He's already sought the counselor. He's already listened to the, the issue. So now he has to think through the issue for himself. He doesn't want to be assigned somebody else's opinion. He doesn't want to just go along with the crowd. He doesn't want to just, just get caught up in the frenzy of it. He has to be deliberate and careful and think, I need to, I need to understand this for myself. I need to investigate this for myself so that I have clarity and understanding on it. Because, actually, think about this in our day and age, and any time in history. If we haven't figured it out yet, not everybody who claims to care about justice actually cares about it. We know that, right? Politicians, media corporations, tech companies, all kind of companies, educational institutions, all kind of places, oftentimes will leverage and use the pain and the, and, and the, the, the trouble of, of groups or individuals for their own profit for their own purpose, for their own sake, as a way of virtue signaling, as a way of all kind of different reasons that people have for that. And sometimes, because you got a question like, why haven't some problems gone away? That should be a smart question if we're smart enough. We should say, why haven't some problems gone away? They've gone away in other places. Why haven't they gone away? But people say they care about it, but they haven't solved the problem. Ah, do people actually care about the problem they claim that they care about? Nehemiah is smart enough to say, I'm not just going to go along with what I hear. I have to understand this for myself, to get clarity on this for myself. So that when, he, when he responds, he's got a clear response. His response is public, it's legal, and it's specific. He shines a light on this specific issue. He's got clarity on it. He realizes, I can't solve these other problems, but I can solve this problem. So I'm going to shine a light on this. I love, I, he's such a boss. Nehemiah, what a great Bible hero to have. If you need a new Bible hero... Nehemiah, I offer him to you as a Bible hero. He's a total boss in the situation. He, he, he makes these people promise publicly, he creates a public like, accountability mechanism where they cannot get out of this now. They, they're not, so it's not just lip service. They're not just getting a pledge. You know, they're actually, there's an enforcement mechanism here where these people will have to follow through with what they're saying. If they don't, there's going to be greater consequences to it. That's powerful. He's, I mean, he's, got, he's a governor, so he's got some, you know, responsibilities. But he, 
or some power, uh, but he's using it in a very wise, very, very, very powerful, uh, uh, careful way. Now, for us, my concern for us is, is that we might say we care about justice, but I don't know if we always have the clarity that we need to actually tackle it. I don't know that we always have the clarity that we need. Sometimes we might have a social media version of something, or we're just reading headlines about things. That's, those things are not the clarity we need. To do justice means that we actually have to identify the issues. We have to erase the ambiguity. I can't solve a famine. I can't make it rain, make crops grow. can't do that. I can't change the tax code. don't have the power to do that. But maybe I can do what Nehemiah did, and I can bring a lawsuit against somebody. Maybe I could do that. Maybe, or maybe I could just write a letter. Maybe I can speak my voice so I can, I can get my voice Ahead, you know, to somebody who can bring legal action about something. Maybe I can do that. Let's focus on what I can do. And the amazing thing is, the good news is, Nehemiah listened. He was thoughtful. He sought his own counsel. He understood the issue for himself. He took the action that he could take within the sphere of his own power and influence, ignoring the other problems, saying, this is all I can focus on right now. And the situation changed. The people repented. Like, it actually changed. People repented. They vowed they wouldn't do it. Verse 11 and 12. They vowed they wouldn't do it again. They vowed they'd let them off. They'd forgive it. Verse 11 and 12. It says, Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. I mean, this would be a lot of money. It's a lot of wealth. They're just returning. They're forgiving this debt. Then they said, We will restore these and require nothing from them. And we will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. We've got to have faith that as we act righteously, that as we do what is, what is right, and as we, as we listen, as we seek counsel of ourselves to make sure we understand it, as we take the steps that, that are within our power and focus on those things, that we have faith that God can change situations. We also need to have the kind of faith that says, that can discern if somebody needs a loan or they need a gift. Because if someone's not impoverished, but they're wanting money for something, maybe they're wanting to start a business, maybe they're wanting, you know, buy a house, whatever it might be. Could be they're not poor and needy, but like they, need, they don't quite have what they need to get to the next step that they want to be at. And so it could be a loan, could be. Because that actually can be very dignifying to give somebody a loan. Because you're, in one sense, you know, somebody's taking responsibility for that, right? And they're, they're saying, I, want, I, I, I don't want to just take a handout on everything. I, I want to achieve this in my own power. Obviously, it's not just their own power because it's provided by God, but there's something dignifying about that. So a loan can actually be a good thing. Also to discern, this person is impoverished and they just need a gift. But also, if you ever loan anyone money, anytime you loan money, you have to be willing from the beginning to say, I'll convert this to a gift at any point. If at any point the person who's borrowed this money, cannot pay it back. It becomes a burden to them. I'll convert it into a gift. That's the righteous way to do it so that we're not exploiting. So that should make people very, very cautious about lending money because it's not a, it's, you're not in it for, to make money. You're in it to help somebody, and maybe you profit off of that a little bit. So that could, that could be a bit of a win-win. could help them, could help you. But it could be, end up being a big loss to you. So it's a risk to do that. But that's the kind of faith that we need to have. Could it be that there would be debts that we could cancel for others? Debts that we could pay. 
things people find themselves in, in, in medical debt or other debts that they, you know, some debts, it's like, hey, if you've got credit card debt, you know what, you need to knuckle down and figure out, you, you need to start working on that yourself, chipping away at that yourself. But if you've got like medical debt or other debts that are things kind of outside of your control, like what are some debts we could help cancel for people? It's a very, very biblical thing to do to help those because otherwise somebody, once you get down to a certain point, a certain level, the trouble kind of seems to multiply, right? And then it seems to become a, a kind of like quicksand, like I, I, I don't have the power to get myself out of this now. So at Trinity, we really value this, right? We value justice. Over the years, we've done all kinds of different things with justice. There's always more we can do. And so grateful for our letter-writing ministry that we have, writing to those who are incarcerated and serving families of incarcerated. And uh, we, do, we do different things in that realm. If you're interested in any of those things, you can let us know on the Connect card if you're interested in our justice initiatives at Trinity. Um, we do different things in that realm. But we want to learn to be people who care, really care about these issues. And to really care about these issues means that we're people who, we don't just get angry about them, but we take action on them. Because God has a heart for those who are suffering, for the poor and needy. God associates himself with the poor and needy. When Jesus said it, right, when you do something for the least of these, you're doing it for me. God himself associates with the poor and needy, so we want to be those who associate with the poor and needy, that we use our position like Nehemiah, we use our position like Nehemiah, we use our power to help those who don't have a position and don't have power and help them pull them out of their circumstances in a dignifying but also a, a compassionate and charitable way, in a generous way. What I love about this is that this is the heart of the gospel, what Nehemiah is doing here, this is a precursor to the life of Jesus, to how Jesus treated us, the gospel message that Jesus came to share with us, this, this gift of salvation that's, that's free to us, that Jesus used his position, used his authority, his power. He wasn't redeemed. He wasn't set free. He wasn't helped. In fact, he was tortured and abused and mistreated and rejected so that he could take our place, take on our sin, take on the, that the evil of our heart. And the only solution to, to cure the evil of the human heart is for it to be exchanged with the, the righteousness from God, for there to be a, a complete switching of places that we can be forgiven and transformed. You know that, right? That you're not just forgiven of your sin in Christ, but you're also transformed to live righteously for Jesus. It's the same power that does both. It's the same power that does both, that, that empowers us to live righteously for him. Let's worship Jesus. We, we need to thank him for what he's done in this amazing act that was, what happened to Jesus was an injustice. Jesus was oppressed. Jesus was al allowed himself to be oppressed by oppressors that those oppressors might be transformed, that we might be saved and changed and be made to know, know God and, and love him forever.